Those of you who were at the Kingdom Nights on Thursday night will know that I arrived slightly traumatized. Not that I had had a bad accident on the way here or anything had happened to anybody, but I arrived traumatized because just as I was leaving the house to be here at about half six, uh, Becky arrived home with the dog who had just been at the groomer's. And uh, it was his first major groom. He's just over a year older, Labradoodle Pop Henry. And, you know, some of you will know that, and I don't make much secret of it, that I didn't want a dog. And, uh, I would, you know, I, I, and it's a bit like children. Once, you, once they arrive, you kind of have to love them, um, you know, whether, <laughs> whether you want to or not. And, uh, and, and so Henry, you know, arrived in our house a year ago. And, uh, you know, I've kind of grown somewhat affectionate towards him. I, I mean, that's as far as I'll go. I, I, I tolerate him. Um, but he, he's, a, he's a, just a beautiful dog. Uh, you know, any of you who have seen him, you know, uh, you know, I was talking to Graham and Charles there. They had, they had met Becky with, with him around the lakes last week, and they were just talking about how beautiful he was. And, and, uh, and, and he just, he's just this big fluffy Dulux type dog. I mean, put a photo of him up. I mean, look at that, you know. He's just as... No, look at him. He's gorgeous. He's absolutely... So you're kind of, you know, as much as I don't love dogs, I'm walking around the lakes with him. Everybody's stopping, saying how handsome he is. And I'm like, thanks. They're like, no, the dog. And, and, uh, and, 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 uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, I'm kind of proud of him. And then he went to the groomers on Thursday. And let me show you how he came back. <laughs> and this is not a joke, by the way. This is an actual, real, that's taken at Craigavon Lakes on Friday morning. Look, go back to the old one again. How do you go from that? So I am not walking him anymore. Take, you know, look, take that down. That's, that's embarrassing. Um, like I, I've said I'll walk him in the dark, but the clocks have just changed, which is going to create all sorts of issues for that because he just, you know, he kind of looked like this handsome manly dog. No, he kind of just looks like an overgrown poodle, um, who wears skinny jeans. Uh, he just, he, you know, he just, uh, you know, and to be honest, we, we're, we're both a bit in shock. Like we're all a bit in shock in the house. We keep thinking, is it, is it actually Henry or did they give us back? A different dog, but it is. It's still got his personality, and and uh, but we're, you know, we, if we're being honest, we, we probably feel a wee bit sorry for him. You know, like he's been getting more treats over the last few days because we just can't. You know, those people you feel a wee bit sorry for, and uh, like Henry's like that at the moment. We just feel a wee bit more sorry for him, and we kind of pity him a wee bit. And he's getting treated so much better than he ever did. We even let him off the lead, which we don't normally do. We went to Newcastle yesterday, and he got to run free and. You know, it used to be everybody was running towards him, rather running away from him, and and uh, it's just, it's, uh, you know, it's not a great situation. But here's the thing: I, we, we've noticed that he has no idea. He is as happy as Larry. In fact, he's happier than Larry because he's not as warm as he used to be, and he, he doesn't obviously know why. But uh, you know, he's got rid of this big coat for the summer. Um, you know, he went to the butcher of Baghdad, and they have taken it. I don't, don't know what they did with the fur, but they, they, you know, he's he's. And, and, uh, and actually, they told us that the mats, you know, his, his fur had got so matted that it was actually probably hurting him a bit. So he's actually, he's happier. But we feel sorry for him. We feel pity towards him. But he, he's fine. He's completely happy. No animals were hurting the making of this sermon. And so, so he is happy enough. And to believe it or not, I've managed to tie this into my sermon this morning because it's a tenuous link. But you know what? I can, I, I will take anything and recycle it into a sermon. And, uh, in Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul is in prison. 
And people are concerned about him. People are worried about him. He's been in some form of incarceration for five years. And the churches are worried about him. But Paul writes back to them, and we're going to see in a minute, he says, don't you worry about me. I'm all right. I am loving life. So don't worry about me. Paul had been uh, arrested on false charges for preaching the gospel. The Jewish religious leaders had stirred up a mob. They had arrested him. He had been kept in legal limbo. Eventually, he's a Roman citizen, so he appeals to Caesar. And so they take him to Rome. Remember, I did a sermon series a while ago in Acts 27, three, uh, where, where they go through this storm on the way to Rome. And he's there, but he's still under house arrest. He's still uh, chained to a guard. And the church in Philippi that he had planted, we read about in Acts 16, where he had, been, uh, he had received a vision from somebody in Macedonia saying, come over here. He goes to a Roman colony called Philippi, and he meets this woman who is a dealer in purple cloth. She, it was like the Gucci or Armani sort of person of her day. And he leads her to faith, and this church starts in Philippi. And there's just this affection that he has for this church in Philippi. There's this warmth. There's this... There's this uh, mutual just love for each other. Most, In fact, every other letter that Paul writes, he corrects them about something, whether they've been too legalistic or too loose. He corrects them, but with the church in Philippi, there's none of that. It's just, it's called the most joyful book in the Bible. And, uh, and he's just full of love for them. Look at what he says to them in, in verse 8 in chapter 1. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. He just loves these people. But he hears that they're concerned about him. They're worried about him. Paul's older at this stage. He's around 60. And, uh, and, and they're worried that his health isn't as good. They're worried that he's in jail. They're worried about all of these things. And so he writes to them and sends this letter back to them with a guy called Epaphroditus to reassure them that he is okay. And look at what he starts by telling them in verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers, and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, Paul was an apostle. He was a sent one. He spent his time going around new cities, new countries, preaching the gospel, planting churches, establishing leaders. And so one would assume if he's been in jail for five years, that the gospel has been stifled, that the gospel has been contained, that the gospel has been constrained. But Paul says, actually, you would be wrong to think that because what has happened to me has actually not held back the gospel. It has advanced the gospel. That word means it has pushed through opposition. Paul says, think again. Not one thing that has happened to me has hindered the gospel. It has advanced the gospel. It has not contained the good news It has enlarged my capacity to preach the good news in places where it has never been heard. How is that even true? What do you mean, Paul? He tells us in verses 13 and 14. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. See, Paul, for 24 hours a day, was attached to a chain like this. And for 24 hours a day, he was chained to a Roman guard. But do you know what that also meant? That there was a Roman guard chained to him. 
And they probably took it in four-hour shifts. And these guys were the elite of Caesar's guards. They were like the SAS of the day. And so you can imagine the first guard coming in, Julius, kisses goodbye to his wife in the morning, goes into work. Who am I on with today? You're with the guy, Paul. Oh, I haven't been on with him before. Chains himself to Paul and turns to Paul and says, so what are you in for? And Paul says, sit down and let me tell you, we've got plenty of time. And four hours later, he's heard the gospel. He's heard about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And some of them have got saved. Julius goes off his shift. Marcus comes on his shift. Julius is leaving. Beaman, Marcus is like, what's going on? He goes, you go and look after Paul. Paul, what what did you do wrong to me? Let me tell you what I did wrong to be in here. You sit down and I'll tell you the gospel. And so Paul has got to share the gospel through his chains. He is using his chains to preach Christ. And he says, not only that, but because of my chains, other Christians have become more confident, more bold in their faith. You see, fear is contagious. We've we've seen that over the last two years. Fear is highly contagious. It's more contagious than a virus. But do you know what's also contagious? Courage. And they look at Paul and they go, if he can be courageous in chains, then we who are free, how much more courageous can we be? And so it has actually encouraged them to be more bold and more confident about preaching Christ wherever they go. You see, Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. This is just an aside here. In the book of Romans, Paul had said twice, I long to come to you. He had never been to Rome. It's the capital of the empire. It's the belly of the beast. It's the heart of the empire. Paul wants to go there and preach the gospel. And he gets to go there, but he doesn't get to go so much as a preacher, as a prisoner. He doesn't get to go on his own steam. He gets to go on their fare. They pay for him. And Paul says, you know what? It doesn't matter how I get here. If I'm here, I'm going to preach. And sometimes in life, this is just a freebie here this morning. Sometimes you will get what you're asking God for, but you'll not get it in the way or the means or through the people you expect. You have dreams in your heart. You have desires in your heart. You have things that God has called you to do. And you you have this vision for the future. And you get there, but it's not how you planned or how you expected. But here's the thing. If God wants you to get somewhere, he will get you there. And Paul is in chains. But he says, these chains are not hindering the gospel. Through these chains, I am actually advancing the gospel. Yes, I might be in prison, he says, but I haven't lost my purpose. What matters most is not my freedom, my ability to travel. What matters most is that the gospel is preached. Because that's always been what matters most to me. Some of you will have heard of John Bunyan. I'm sure some of you will have read the book, The Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, the story behind that is that uh, John Bunyan, who lived about 350 years ago in England, at the age of 28, he was arrested for preaching without a license. I have a license. And uh, I've got points, but I've got a license. I've got nine points, but I've got a license. No, not in my driving license. I've got nine points in my preaching license. And... Uh, I might get to take it off me. No, um, he can, but he, so he, he's arrested for preaching without a license, but he continues to preach and he's sent to jail two years later. And he was only meant to be there for three months and they said, if we let you out, will you stop preaching? He said, not a chance. If you let me out, I'm going to preach. And so they kept him in jail. And he began a church in jail and 70 men became part of his church in jail because he preached the gospel in every cell. And they got so mad at him, they put him in solitary confinement, thinking they could shut down the gospel. 
But while he's in solitary confinement, he starts to write a little book called The Pilgrim's Progress, which has been read by millions of people across the world and has helped millions of people draw closer to Jesus. Because you can chain the preacher, but you cannot chain the gospel. You can put the preacher in prison, but you can't contain the gospel. And so while Paul didn't choose these chains, Paul didn't choose the conditions or circumstances. He says, I didn't choose these, but I wouldn't change them. I didn't choose this, but I wouldn't change it. I wonder, can you say that about some things today? That there's things in your life, circumstances, maybe now, maybe in the past, things that you have gone through and you would never have chosen them. You would never have chosen that marriage to break up. You would never have chosen that loss. You would never have chosen that heartache, that betrayal, that hurt, that whatever it was. You would never have chosen it. But now you look at it and you go, you know what? It was was horrible. I would never want to go through it again. But you know what? I, 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 I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. Because God did something in that. God did something in that. I would never have chosen the chains. But now that I've got them, I wouldn't change them. It caused me pain, it caused me heartache, but that pain and heartache has caused me to be more empathetic and more caring towards other people. That betrayal stung so deeply, but it's actually made me really appreciate someone who is loyal and faithful to me. Yes, that pressure pushed me out of that position, but if I hadn't been pushed out of that position, I wouldn't be in the job or the place I am today. You know, here's what I I try to tell myself. When something is going against me, when I'm feeling the pressure, when I'm feeling the squeeze, I've started to tell myself, yes, this is happening to me, but it's also happening for me. Yes, this is happening to me, and the enemy wants to destroy me, but God is making it happen for me. And God will do something through it in me. And that's the way Paul feels about his chains. The enemy thought he had won by putting Paul in chains, but Paul says, you know what? You've just made me evangelize a whole group of people who would never have heard the gospel before. This is not happening to me. This is happening for me. My feet are chained, but my heart is full. I'm not having a pity party. I'm having a praise party. These chains are actually bling. That I'm wearing with pride because I get to share the gospel with everybody around me. And maybe you're in a place right now where it feels like you're in chains. Maybe in your job, maybe in a home situation, maybe a health situation. And I, I'm, I, I'm not saying those things are good. They're not. There's nothing good about sickness. There's nothing good about your marriage being under strain. There's nothing good about burnout. There's nothing good about depression. There's nothing good about any of that stuff. But what I can say is that there's no situation you're in that you can't show Jesus Christ. There's no situation you're in that God cannot work in it and through it for his glory. And you might not have chosen it, but God can use it. And as you look back in your life, maybe some things haven't worked out as you planned, but can you see God's hand in them now? (laughs) I always joke about, you know, when you meet that person who broke your heart as a teenager and you thought you'd never get over them and then you meet them 25 years later in Tesco, and you're like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for broken hearts, you know. 
There's a story I used to tell in church about P, P7 disco and getting my heart broken by somebody. And now she goes to the same gym as me. And, uh, and, uh, and she's lovely. She's a wonderful person. But thank you, Lord. You know, thank you, Lord. And we can look back at things. And it, they hurt at the time and they were genuinely painful and we don't make light of them. But thank you, Lord. Because if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be here today. You know, one, the clocks went forward last night and but one of my favorite movies is Back to the Future, where Marty McFly goes back. Because what he discovers is if you change one thing in the past, it changes everything in the present. And he's to go back and to try and undo some things that are changed in the past. And so he makes a time machine out of a DeLorean. And you know, there's things back there that we would wish hadn't happened and they were painful, but if we were to change all of that, it, it, it would have a knock-on, a domino effect, and we wouldn't be where we are today. And so we didn't choose it. But I wonder, can we honestly say, God, I didn't choose that, but I wouldn't change it because you used it. You made it work for me, not against me. And you have been so faithful. And Paul says, I wouldn't have chosen these chains, but I wouldn't change it because it's advanced the gospel. It's advanced the gospel. And that's what matters most. Not my comfort, not my convenience, not my preferences, not my position, not my desires, but that Jesus Christ has proclaimed. You know, none of us would have chosen the last two years, would we? Like it's almost exactly two years since lockdown and all of that. None of us would have chosen that. None of us would have chosen a virus. None of us would have chosen the losses we experienced, the restrictions and all of that. None of us would have chosen that. I definitely wouldn't. And yet there's many things about it now I wouldn't change. I wouldn't have chosen it, but I look at how God has used it. I would never have chosen to do online services. I would never have chosen that. But I look at how God has used it. You know, we have five times more people on average watch us every week online than are physically in the building between our two services. Five times more. There's not hardly a day that goes by that I don't get a message from somewhere in the world. Just this week we got a check from somewhere down south, somebody I've never heard of, quite a large check, just thanking us for our ministry, the ministry of Hope Church. I would never have chosen to go online. And yet right now as we sit here, there are people all over the place tuning in to hear the word of God. So I would never have chosen it. But that doesn't matter because what matters most is that people hear the word of God. I wouldn't have chosen it, but now I wouldn't change it. Look at the next verses with me. 15 to 18. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me. While I am in chains. So here's what's happening here. While Paul is in prison, because he's been away for quite a long time, there's a vacuum in leadership. And so other people, self-appointed leaders are stepping up and they're starting to want position and title and authority within the church. And to get that, what they're doing is they're, they're subtly undermining Paul. They're not being too obvious about it because they know Paul's held in respect. But just wee comments, wee bit of gossip. 
No, I mean, totally different from the church today, but they're just those wee innuendos, you know, wee things like that. I wonder why Paul's really in prison. Like, I wonder did he do something that we don't know about? Is God really with him? Because if God was with him, certainly he'd be free by now. God would have got him out of prison. And is he really that good a preacher? I mean, have you heard him recently? I don't think he's unimpressive at all. I mean, some of the things he says are just a wee bit off. And they start just this thing of just subtly undermining him. Subtly just gossiping about him, trying to say that he's not all that big a thing. and That, look at us, we're your leaders. We're the people who have real authority. We're the people who are impressive. And the truth is that they just don't like Paul. It says that they're full of selfish ambition. There's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with ambition. Sometimes in the church we tell you it's selfish ambition that there's something wrong with. Paul was ambitious to share the gospel. If you're in a job, you can be ambitious. But it's ambitious for the kingdom. It's ambitious for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's ambitious to be all that he made you to be. But when a selfish ambition is just about my desires, my money, my position. These people have selfish ambition and they make snide remarks and cast doubts on his character. And the thing is, these aren't false teachers. They're not heretics. Nowhere does Paul say it. In fact, Paul says they preach the gospel. They preach the same message as he preaches. They declare the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, you can have the same message, but have the wrong motives. You can preach Christ, you can preach a gospel that you and I would say amen to, I agree with that, but you can do it from a heart full of bitterness and envy and rivalry. And that's what they're doing here. I mean, we know nothing about that in Northern Ireland. We have never seen that over 40 years, where there's people who are preachers and politicians who preach a gospel that you and I would absolutely affirm and agree with. It is orthodox, it is, it is biblical. And then they stir up hatred and sectarianism on the other hand. You can preach the gospel, you can have the right message, but have the wrong motives. And that's what's happening here. But I love Paul's response. Look at this. I love this. Verse 18. But what does it matter? I'm going to get that tattooed across something or other by arm or something. What does it matter, he says. The important thing is that in every way, whether by false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. What does it matter? Paul's a bit older at this stage. You know, Elijah, our boy, keeps loves to talk about me being an old man. He loves it. I tell him I'm the coolest dad he will ever have. Um, he loves talking about me being, he loves to add 10 years to my age and pretend that he doesn't think that, you know, he doesn't realize he's added 10 years to my age. And, and Paul here is an old man. He's an older man and he's got a bit of wisdom by now. Because when Paul was younger, Paul would have taken these guys on. Paul would have had a thing to say. But now that he's got older, he's got a bit wiser. And he hears what these guys are whispering about him. He hears what they're gossiping about him. He hears how they're subtly undermining him. And he just says, what does it matter? What does it matter? I would love to be more like that. Because I get stressed and I get upset and I get angry and I get frustrated about things that in the big scheme of things... What does it matter? And so do you. And you 
Somebody looks at you crooked or somebody leaves you out or something and you build up this whole scenario in your head and for four days you're walking around angry and then you realize you've got it all wrong. What does it matter? Paul says, what does it matter as long as Christ is being preached? I might not like their motives, but people are hearing the gospel and that's what really matters most. Can I say to you, there are churches in this area that I would not go to. There's churches in this area that I wouldn't feel comfortable in. There's churches in this area that would never invite me to go there. Okay? There's churches in this area that I don't like their music. I don't like their style. I don't like the way they're dressed. There's things I don't like. But you know what? There's people they are reaching that I will never reach with the gospel. So what does it matter what I think? What does it matter? As long as they're preaching Christ crucified and risen... What does it matter? I give thanks to God for every single church in this area that preaches the good news of Jesus because they will reach people that I will never reach. You know, there's some people who have a style that's totally different to mine. Some people are more saved than Jesus. Some people are over-saved and they're so hyper-spiritual that you can't have a normal conversation with them. Do you want a seat? No, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ. No, you're not. You're in Starbucks. Okay, I just have a normal conversation with me. I always think people like that are hiding something. Um, and I, I just kind of find them weird. And then I meet someone like a year later and I'm like, so how did you become a Christian? And they go, oh, that person led me to Christ. And I'm like, really? Really? They shared the gospel and you actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just totally connected with me. And I'm like, praise God. What does it matter? Paul says, what does it matter? Oh, I want to be more like that about so much. I really do. Maybe we, you do as well. Maybe we all need to be a bit more like that. We've got less sensitive. We've got less touchy. We've got less taking everything personal. Because ultimately what matters most to Paul isn't how he feels. It's that the gospel is proclaimed. You know, earlier this week I was driving along and I was just throwing myself a wee pity party in the car. You know, candles and a cake and everything. And... Um, and I was just, I was saying this, I was saying, and Lord, I just feel like this. And, and Lord, I feel like this. And I just felt the Lord just say, and I, I genuinely, I felt him say to me, I don't care how you feel. And I'm like, that's not very biblical. And I just I felt him say this, stop telling me how you feel and start tell, telling me what the truth is. Start speaking the truth. And the problem wasn't what was happening, it was how I was feeling. But when I started to speak the truth over my life, the truth of the word of God, who he is, who he says I am, what he's done for me, it changed how I felt. See, I can get down and lost in my feelings or I can declare the truth and actually pull myself out of that place. Motives are important. I'm not saying motives aren't important. Motives are really important. And ultimately, character will prevent people from hearing the gospel. But Paul doesn't stress. You know why? Because he can't do anything about it. He's in jail. He can't do anything about it. So he says, what does it matter? I am not going to waste my time, my energy, my stress on things that I can't do anything about. What can I do something about? What is right in front of me right now? And that is preaching the gospel. And look at what he says. He says, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. You know, in 10 verses, 10 times Paul says, I will. I will. He's choosing. 
He doesn't have a lot of choice. He's chained up, but he's saying, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Even though I'm in chains and even though it's not my choice, I will rejoice. I am choosing to rejoice. No matter what my circumstances, I am choosing to rejoice. And as I look at my circumstances, I can be full of anger and resentment. I can be full of regret and unforgiveness. I can be full of all sorts of stuff. Or I can be full of worship and praise and I will choose that instead. And I will rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. I want to be more like that. I want to care less what people think. You know, if you, the, the reality is this, people won't like you, some won't. If everybody likes you, you're either really boring or just way too nice. Like, I mean, like, at some stage, somebody doesn't like you. Do you know what I mean? Like, like if you have a, like, an opinion about anything, somebody's going to disagree with it these days and not like you. And so you can live your life worried about the people who don't like you, or you can say, what does it matter? What does it matter? As long as I'm putting God first, as long as I'm seeking to put Christ first, what does it matter? Let's finish up. 20 to 24. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage, so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by my life or by my death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? As if he has a choice here. I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul says, I'm torn here. I'm torn because his life's in limbo here. There's nothing certain. He has no idea what the future holds. Everything's uncertain and unpredictable for him. But like ourselves today. And Paul might stay in prison. He might be released or he might get his head chopped off. That's the three options. He has no idea at this choice. And he says, you know what? I'm torn. I don't know which I prefer. He says, I would like to be released because I can keep on ministering. But if I die, I get to be with Jesus and that's even better. He's like, I don't know which to choose. It's a win-win. As far as Paul's concerned, he can't lose here. What a, what a way to live. Someone who has this attitude is dangerous. They're a weapon in the hands of God. If you don't care whether you live or die, if nobody can do anything to hurt you, you're a weapon in the hands of God. And that's where most of us struggle. Because we've, let's just be honest, everything in the last two years has been, been about staying alive, saving lives. And that's right and that's good and that's, we should protect people. But there's also a sense that I've looked and I've went, why are we so afraid of dying? Like, I, 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 of course I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to, like. But we've also got to reach a place where we go, you know what? I want to keep living. But if I die, I get to be with Jesus. And for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a way to live. What a way to live. You see, when you take your fear of death away, not much else frightens you. 
That's the ultimate fears from which all other fears come. And Paul has reached the point in his life where he says, I am so, I was going to say dying to be with Jesus, so excited, so thrilled to be with Christ, that I don't care what happens to me anymore. Because I win, no matter what, and that's you. If you're a Christian, can I tell you that no matter what, you win. Because he has won already. It's already decided. Read the end of the story. You win. Whether you lose, you win. Whether you win, you win. It's a win. Win. Whether you live or die, for you to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a way to live. Content no matter what. No matter what people say about you, you're content. No matter the price of petrol, you're content. No matter whether you get the latest car or not, you're content. No matter whether that person and work who gets on your last nerve changes or not, you're content. What a way to live. Contentment and joy and peace in any circumstance. In the middle of all the uncertainty, and we are in uncertainty, Paul says, you know what? I am certain in uncertainty that Christ is going to be glorified. I am certain in uncertainty that I am going to do everything I can to share the gospel. I am certain in uncertainty that the gospel is going to advance. I am certain in uncertainty that all things work together for the good of those who love God. I am confident in unpredictability that if my God is for me, who can be against me? I am convinced that no matter what happens, neither life nor death nor angels nor demons nor present nor future nor principalities nor powers, can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I am completely sure no matter what crisis may come, that I don't have to be afraid. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That's what matters most. Let me finish with a story of people. A couple I know, Marty and Eddie, they were part of our, our church in Dublin and Probably the hardest, in one sense, the hardest funeral I've ever had to do was their little boy, Hugh. From the moment he was born, if not before that, he had a very rare disease. and He spent a year in uh, the hospital, the children's hospital in Dublin. And, uh, and his parents never left his side for 12 months. And then he sadly passed and I did the funeral and just this little wicker coffin. Some of you have been at a funeral like that. Some of you know what that's like. It's horrendous. I'll take that down now. Thanks, man. And, uh, and yet in the midst of the funeral, God's presence and peace was just so tangible. It was just this beautiful moment where the presence of God drew so near. But Adrian, the mum, she had noticed something over the year that she had been beside her little boy in the hospital. She had noticed that she was able to come and go because she only lived four miles from the hospital. But there were parents from Galway and Cork and all around Ireland who didn't have that luxury and they couldn't see their children as much. And When they did, they had to stay in a hotel or they had to rent an Airbnb. And some people couldn't afford that and they were sleeping on the floor of hospital rooms. And so after after little Hugh died, um, Eddie took her. She 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 owns a chain of pharmacies. She took 
all her savings. She cashed in her pension and she bought a, a, a building opposite the, the Matter Hospital in Dublin, a big corner building. And it's called Hughes House. And there's a bunch of rooms and they're, they're all designed by parents who have lost children. And what she did was she said, I want you to design this as the room you would have wanted to stay in when, when, you, when your little one was in hospital. And it's just grown and grown. And supermarkets donate food and people come in and help. And it's just this free place, this beautiful place where parents can come and stay while their children are in hospital for as long as they need to be there. And would they ever have chosen for their little boy to go through that? I don't think so. I don't think anyone would ever choose that. But I don't know. Honestly, if you were to say now, would you change it? I'm not sure they would. Because God has taken those chains and he has used them to liberate others. He has taken their hurt and their heartache and brought hope to a hopeless place. He has taken all of their pain and given them a purpose which is so much bigger than any purpose they ever had before. And you know, they're all over the... 80 was awarded woman, person of the year in Ireland. They're all over the press. But at the heart of it, at the heart of it is her faith in Jesus. At the heart, She doesn't have to preach it. She just gets to live it. And God can take no matter what life throws at us, no matter what the enemy throws at us, no matter what other people throw at us, and we would never choose the chains. But maybe we can take these chains and bring freedom to others. And we wouldn't choose them. But I hope we get to the point where we go, I I, I wouldn't change that either. Because God has done something in me, and God has done something through me that could never have happened without these chains.